0: From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up Cast, And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long.
2: It's December 4th, 2020. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza, And I'm Scott Long. So, two things. One, I'm going back to the clicking headphones, because the audio just isn't good enough. And I'd rather have a click every once in a while than have horrible audio throughout the show. So, technical stuff for our our, uh, our geeky guys out there.
1: Yeah, um, for our fans. I mean, obviously, we just started doing this show. So, you know, <laughs> uh, 15 years from now, we'll have all this stuff work out, I promise you.
2: I thought about taping my ears back, you know. <laughs>
1: yes, like you're.
2: <laughs> you know, like they do for. The- so, I thought about doing that. And then like, maybe going why? to a plastic surgeon and having them pinned back, you know. <laughs> so they'd stop. I, you know, you watch the the crown, and they're always ta- calling Prince Charles Jughead and stuff. I'm like, I might start getting that nickname pretty soon with these ears. You know? Well,
1: definitely, now's the time to get them pinned back. Use that up, that HSA uh, money you have <laughs> scored up so,
2: before <laughs> December 31st. <so. laughs> uh, speaking of there,
1: The more you know.
2: Speaking of watching stuff on Netflix, I finally got around to watching Molly's game. Wow. I know. So this is
1: funny because we had a listener email us and suggest, hey, I don't know if you've heard of this, this movie, uh, Molly's Game, and I, I kind of half-chuckled because I'm um, yeah, I watched it years ago, yeah. um, and, but you you hadn't.
2: I hadn't what? seen it. This was the first chance I had, and it was like my buddy from back home called me up the other day. He's like, hey, man, I watched this movie the other night, and I was thinking of you, and I'm like, uh, okay, what is it? Oh, it's Molly's Game, it's like so legit and it's awesome and I'm like well how would you know it's legit you know and he's like but it's really good and, and you gotta watch it and I said alright I'll watch it so Gene and I watched it and whenever we watch a movie and it's over we almost always like simultaneously turn to each other and look at each other like you know did you like it or did you hate it or whatever and and uh, I gotta tell you I didn't like it
1: I gonna say yeah it's I did not love it. Uh, I I appreciated what they tried to accomplish with it. Um, it was based off the book too. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Oh, jeez. Now I'm allergic to you and your stories.
2: I hope you don't have COVID. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. No. So yeah. It, you know, it's it's Hollywood. Um. You know, it's. Again, I think it's like it's fairly true to the story, but it's her telling the story, right? So it's true to her version of the story, uh, which could be wildly. In fact, actually, Toby Maguire is, you know, said it's complete fiction, or not complete fiction, but.
2: Well, the way he Lots was portrayed, she's saying it was complete fiction. But I, yeah, I,
1: absolutely. Yeah, the Michael Cera character, which is supposedly him. I would be upset if that was me too. But
2: <laughs> they, I did a little digging, and they said that it was an amalgamation of him and one other person. And that, but some of the specific lines, like the person who calls her up in the car and laughs at her that she lost the game. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm not spoiling it for anybody. It's been years, so if you haven't seen it now. It's not my fault. It's like if I say Rosebud, I didn't fool. You know, but. Um, uh, one of the things that the, the reason I really like the movie, I mean, she's fantastic. She's an incredible actress. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. just unbelievable the, the range she has from different roles, and um, and that was great. And I love the cast. It was it was good and it was fun to watch poker again. And uh, but two things: one, I could not stand how much they had her do voiceovers. I mean, the entire movie is her just like <laughs> I don't know what you call it, exposition or whatever. I don't, but she just sits there and just explains everything. For every scene, and never she never stops talking. I mean, it's not like it's Morgan Freeman coming yeah. in and talking to you for Shawshank. I mean, this was nonstop, it drove me crazy. Yeah. And then when you have the you know the close captioning on, you know, you, you're like you find yourself constantly reading, and I'm like,
1: oh wow, man, is closed captioning for that movie?
2: No, no, no. But uh, Jeannie likes to have it on, especially when women talk, because it's quieter. A lot of times the women's voices are quieter and she can't hear it as well, so we put it on for her. That's why you got to turn it up and then have the wife complain, Can
1: you turn it down? Yeah, I
2: know, exactly.
1: Well, I got to hear the voices.
2: But, and and the, the the digging that I did about it to see how much it was true, because, I mean, like the thing at the end or what they settled for and all that was was pretty much true. Um, The the sentence she got was true. You know, a lot of the stuff was true. So, But one of the things they interviewed her, I don't know it was on Ellen or one of these other shows, but it was quoted from something. And she said, they said, what was the biggest pot you ever, or what was the biggest pot you ever seen somebody lose or the most somebody lost in a night? Yeah. And I think she said, a hundred million. And then she said they paid the next day. And I'm sorry, but no one lost a hundred million dollars in one night playing poker. There's no way.
1: I don't know. I don't know. There's no way. Uh, I haven't lost a hundred million.
2: A <laughs> hundred million in one night, Scott? Come on. How many people out there are playing poker in her game? Even have a hundred million, and how many of them can, uh, well, can win a hundred million? It was
1: a high stakes game. Uh, Toby McGuire wanted really rich business people in that game, and and literally there are people worth billions of dollars now. So for them to lose a hundred million when they're worth forty billion,
2: yeah. yeah I but I mean, that. you read the book about the corporation. I mean, they played the banker, and they they were. <laughs> playing for 100,000 200,000 blinds and they couldn't get up to 100 million. I mean, I realize there's no limit, but it was still a, a blinds buy-in. I mean, I just yeah, it's hard
1: to compare uh, the Beale game and the corporation game uh with with this, I think, because that was more of a an exercise in a a team versus a very smart player versus, right? And yeah. then what we're talking about is somebody that just has a lot of money and wants to play in big games, right? So it's a lot easier for me to see those swings in a game like that than in a game with where everybody is like at literally at the top of their game.
2: I can't remember if it was the session or if it was a pop, but I'm pretty sure it was a session. But I mean, even so, that would yeah. mean that there'd have to be – I mean, I don't know. Someone's got to do the math on that to figure out how they would the, – The like the biggest buy-in she had was a like $250,000 buy-in, I think. So it's like, okay – so, for him to get to 100 million, he'd have to buy in 10 times, would be 2.5. So, 100 times, it would be 25. So, I mean, we're talking about four. He had to buy in four, what, 100 times? <laughs> I mean, give me a break.
1: Or you could win a lot. I mean, I don't know how she phrased it. You know, I mean, if he lost in a session, then yeah, you're right. But. Um you know, but it's possible to, to win a big pot. I mean, it depends on how you clear, uh, characterize it, right? I mean, technically, there's no way. I don't think you're right. But. Because um, you did I, say, and like, he paid say, the next day. So that, there, that there means was like it was years one day. ago that uh, our former employer, a um, reporter there, called me up and talked to me about this uh, uh, woman who lost thousands of dollars playing slot machines with her parents' money, right? Mm hmm. And the number he gave me was the uh, total amount run through the machine. And right. I cautioned him. I'm like, That's, you can't characterize it like that because she won a bunch and then lost it back but didn't really lose it, right? If you start with $1,000 and you go broke, you lost $1,000, right? It right? Right. doesn't matter whether you ran it up to 100000 and then lost it all back. You still only put a thousand in that's all you lost right 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 so You can't say you lost a hundred thousand of course, the next day in the newspaper she lost a hundred thousand so, dollars like thanks, thanks for the call, wasting my time <laughs> uh, but but you know if that's if that's how it's been characterized, that's a different story right I don't think it is, but I'm just
2: yeah no because she said he he paid the next day said he well, paid it
1: to me the part of that story uh that would be harder to believe is so she has to go around to all the winners and say, hey man this guy doesn't have the 110000000 million, don't worry, he's going to come tomorrow. Yeah. Just, right? Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. And they did show that in the movie. I mean, there was a scene where the guy said, I didn't have it, and left, and then came back the next day and paid it. Um, I don't remember the movie. It's saying $100 million you just watched, so I'm sure you would have noticed that. Yeah, it but, wasn't $100 million. But, uh But, you know, that. so that gets into the narrative of that she was putting herself at risk, right? Yeah. Not, not being able to pay somebody's debts if they don't pay. Um, uh, so for me, the, the big thing, the, the only thing that really grated on me and now it has been a couple of years, so there might've been some other nitpicks I had, but when she decided to finally rake the game and the dealer looked at her and she nodded her head and then the dealer just took the money out and put it in the tray. Like no one was going to notice. Right? I know. I'm like, come
2: on. And then the dealer even grabs the, grabs the tray, <laughs> yeah. the metal tray with the tip chips and that puts it in too. It's like, uh, yeah. come on. Unbelievable.
1: Um, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it happened in real life in a discussion at some point where you know, hey, you know, the game's getting bigger. I'm providing more services. So I'm going to have to take a little take. And everybody said, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. But that's that's not, that's not good movie ish, right? Yeah. Right. going <laughs> kind of do the dramatic thing there. So.
2: Yeah. It, well, yeah. Wouldn't have been. You know, let's have the uh, the meeting scene now. Like, you know that would have been as boring as hell. So they had to and do it their we'll way.
1: The over for it. Really <laughs> <fix
2: their stuff. laughs> voiceover. <laughs> All right. and my rant. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm done watching poker movies. Ah. <laughs>
1: I doubt that, but we'll see. I mean, uh, hey, we're about due for a, um, a sequel to Runner Runners. So.
2: That's true. I can't wait. They call it Jogger Jogger because they're older now.
1: Oh, man. All right. The World Series of Poker has begun the process to choose this year's lone inductee into the Poker Hall of Fame. Nominations are being accepted through December 11th at wsop.com slash p-h-o-f. That's short for Poker Hall of Fame. Maybe you haven't figured that out. Foff. nominees must be at least 40 years old have played well at high stakes against top competition and stood the test of time or have contributed to the overall success and growth of the game of poker nominees will be announced on December 16th and the 32 living Hall of Fame members will get 10 points to allocate however they wish and the uh, inductee will be announced on December 30th just before the main event final
2: so I I did some uh, cursory readings of these stories about this and I I didn't see anywhere where they said why it's just one inductee now
1: uh, so in the release it did say they made a point of saying going back to what the rules were from the 90s up until like 2004 or something like that um, so I don't remember that switching I mean that was let's see that's before we did the podcast right yeah we started the podcast in 2005 so we wouldn't have been like paying attention to it uh, back then necessarily uh, so they must have been, I, I believe it's 2004 I could be wrong on that but they must have decided at that point, hey, we're not going to just do one a year, uh, which would make sense, then, right? Because the the boom started in two thousand three, right? Yeah. Or started, and now you have all these players and more people coming in, and I imagine, and again, I'm all this is all just me making stuff up. I don't have anything to back it up, but I would imagine they would say, hey, we're going to have a huge influx of really good players, and we can't just have one a year. It's opening up to more. Um, and then, for whatever reason, this year they decided to go old school and go back to what they did before. So I didn't explain
2: why. Right. That's what I wanted. I, but there was a history of it okay. being just one for several several years. I mean, it makes it uh, more impressive for the person or whatever. Or
1: oh yeah, it's a very exclusive club.
2: Exclusive. Yeah.
1: But you could also argue that it still is. I mean, I mean, how many years have they inducted more than two? Right. Hasn't it right. been two every year now?
2: Right. Two. Yeah.
1: So. All right, so you know, uh, I I don't know. I mean, I like. I mean, I can only imagine driving seventeen hours out of your way to Cooperstown, New York, um, to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and see fourteen people in there. Yeah, right?
2: yeah.
1: You know, so I'm not saying that everybody should get in, but uh, uh, I, again, I, my rant has always been I, I can't believe they limited it to two, and now I can't limit it. We uh, believe that they're going back to one. Right, so. Uh, with as many people playing poker around the world now and contributing. And, you know, and every year when we have this little discussion about the Hall of Fame nominees, I mean, all of them are – there might be, be one or two every year that I don't think maybe are ready for it or you might not think are ready for it or other people might not, depending on who they are, right? Right. But for the most part, that, the, that nominee slate, all of them really <laughs> deserve to be in at some point, right? Yeah. So um, to say we can only have one a year and every year there are nine or eight, or eight or nine people that have to wait another year and then eventually fall off and then new ones show up, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's two arguments to the coin. One, it's it's super, super exclusive. So if you get in, that is a true, true honor. The other side is, you know, do you want it to be that exclusive? Uh, yeah. Or should be a, more reflective of growing the game with various uh different people and again we we said about this in the past too that they're just like in baseball when you have a you know uh the regular ballot and then the veterans ballot it really would make sense in poker to um have a, a a player's thing and then a supporter's thing right so you don't have people like matt savage competing against phil ivy
2: to get it right yeah and it helps you um like Get, it's like an oversight committee kind of thing you know where they also get to look back and say this is a mistake this guy should have been in we never voted him in or whatever and, and it allows you to you know like you said the veterans committee does that so um, yeah it's just I wondered if it was like oh they're just they're afraid they're going to run out of people who are eligible or good enough or whatever and I'm like that can't be it there's millions of people play. they're going to have enough to fill the hall of fame it's not even a building so it doesn't matter yeah, that's just, uh, they're
1: going to run out of room in that uh, virtual gallery
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs>
1: Uh, all right, it's a good debate to have. So you know, you know, I'm not running it, so they get to do it the way they want to. But
2: uh, well, it, gi- it gives us a topic so to talk about so. every year. So
1: uh, actually, whine about every
2: year. Whine, that's true. Sorry, yeah. that was more accurate.
1: And don't worry, we've got uh, whatever show comes out after December 16th, we'll whine yet again.
2: So.
1: <laughs> and then probably again on whatever show comes out after December 30th. So we got <laughs> two more whinings coming up. Alright, Stephanie Unger-Campbell, the daughter of the late poker legend Stu Unger, recently turned to social media to allow poker fans to ask her questions about her father. Chad Holloway summarized her answers on poker news, and among the tidbits she shared were that uh, he never taught her poker. He used to pay a neighbor's son $20 to take his trash out. He said he would have been an attorney had he not found poker, and that uh, she would like to participate in a movie about him, and chose not to be part of High Roller because she said the script wasn't accurate. Yeah Interesting, I mean, this last thing is the best thing for me. Like you, you know, that just shows you the when you have money, the things that you're willing to pay not to have to do.
2: Yep, the trash, classic.
1: I mean, mean, most of us are like, all right, I can walk the trash out to the curb, but uh, this guy decided, you know, forget it. We
2: got millions. Yeah, but or but you know you're you're seeing the negative side of it. The positive side of this maybe like the kids down on his luck and he's like, hey, you know what? I'll give you twenty bucks. And the kids like, I, I don't want twenty dollars. I have pride. And he's like, all right, take <laughs> my trash out every week, and I'll give you twenty bucks. And then they build a relationship that way. The kids get some responsibility, get some money. You know, maybe it was it was that way. It was not just know, oh, I'm too above hey, taking out my you, own trash. My
1: gonna give you twenty bucks to take their trash can out every day. I'm gonna be sending them Amazon packages. I'm gonna be <laughs> filling that can up. <laughs> I don't want twenty bucks a day. I want sixty bucks a day. Are you sure you don't want me to carry that thing out over there? That couch looks pretty old. <laughs> um. So yeah. So High Roller was one of those movies that like I was interested in it because it was about Stu and it starred Mark, Michael Imperioli. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy it. it. It seemed weird. And I think we talked about this on the show before, right? Oh it's, yeah. He's like talking to him dead self, right? Yeah, or something yeah. like that. for yeah. instance. So, um, and of course, if you're related to the person, you're—I don't think you're ever going to like a script unless you're the one writing it, right? Cause right. You're always looking for that hero's edit. Yeah. And it's really, really, really hard to make Stu and Girl look like a hero, um, however you do it, unless you write it yourself. Um, but it's interesting that uh, that she's interested in doing a. A different movie um, that might obviously show a different side of him, uh, and I'd be interested in seeing that. I mean, in fact, actually, I'd rather like just I would plain like to see a do Stu Unger documentary. I don't know if they made that, but
2: yeah, and he had a huge heart. That was a thing, you know. And that, I'm sure that she wanted to see more of that portrayed than just the darkness of it, um, and that whole thing at the end. Like she probably saw that and was like, "How do you know?" <laughs> you know, she was kind like, "This yeah. is horrible," you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's gonna be tough. But, um, uh, so
1: here, here's my question. Uh, my, my dad wasn't particularly skilled in anything, um, <laughs> but, and that's not a knock. I mean, most people aren't particularly skilled in one particular thing, right? Right. Uh, but I'm always, always interested when uh, parents who are at the top of a certain game uh, don't teach their kids that game. Because you see, I mean, how many times have you seen, like, like, Ken Griffey Jr. with Ken Griffey on the field at the same time, and you're all hugging in the ESPN, and you're crying and stuff, father and son on the same team, right? Uh, well, like, that makes sense to me. Um, so to, to not teach your daughter how to play poker or for the daughter not to want to play poker, if, um, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting thing for me, I guess.
2: Well, I, I do know that if you watched High Roller, you can understand why he (laughs) wanted to (laughs) teach, because look at the life he had, you know, and he felt, I'm sure it was like he had his own addictions and everything, but I'm sure he felt like a lot of it was associated with the lifestyle that he led. And he wouldn't want that for his kid. So that's the, the thing of it. And to me, baseball is not an equivalent of being in a casino around let's just true. say the the, yeah, <laughs> the not exactly, you know, clean cleanliness of people on the planet. Um but I, I just I you know, it happens in other things too, we hear about it all the time too. You know, it's not just that, it's like a football, you know, I wouldn't want my kid to play football, you know, as a professional football player because of the, the headaches and the concussions and the, you know, and so, I mean, it just depends on, on it. You're, you may hate your life, but you're doing it, even though you're good at it. You may not really want to do it, but it's the only thing you know, because it's too late to him to become an attorney or he couldn't make enough money playing gin. So, sure. you know what I mean? So then he's like, I hate my life and look what it's done to me. I don't want her to do it. Same with football players. You know, look at me, I'm, I'm in a wheelchair or at age 50, I can't even get up in the morning without help. And so I can understand right. that. You yeah,
1: know. no, I could too. It's, it's it, but it, it's it's two sides of a coin, right? I think the other side is, I mean, you look at something like Jennifer Harmon, who you know jumped in her dad's game when she was like ten or right? right, right. Um, so she she wanted to learn, right? And so, I mean, the, 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 there there has to be willingness on both sides, right? So it appears that there wasn't willingness on either side of this relationship. So. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I'm not suggesting if if your parents were a uh, top flight poker player that you should absolutely feel like you need to learn the game and become one as well too i'm not suggesting that i'm just suggesting the curiosity as a child I, you know if, if my, my my parents were really good at one thing i think i would have at least wanted to have those conversations and try to learn it and then decide on my own you know I mean, hey you know i became really good at poker and i'm 18 now and i'm like you know what i want to become a ballet dancer or, you know i want to take somebody's trash out for 20 bucks a head. so i don't
0: know right
2: well, like I said, I I just think that uh, well, for her not to want to play is fine. I mean, I have you know my my wife and I are into this whole bonsai thing, and our daughter loves trees. She just loves trees, but she has zero interest in bonsai, like zero. And it's like weird. But I'm not going to force it on her. She's you know grown woman now, and she's not going to you know. But it's just weird. It's just you like what you like, and you do what you do, and um, but. I, I would like to see that documentary and have her be in control of the documentary. Not in control of it, because then she might not tell the whole story, but like have a lot to do with it and okay, tell her that's stories. What I'm saying. So yeah. you get
1: both, right? So you watch Hyrule, then you watch her version, and then you make up your own mind on exactly.
2: which parts of both
1: are closer to the truth, right? Yeah, exactly. So, but, uh, but again, if Hyrule wasn't so cruddy, <laughs> I'd probably be less likely to have a, a hero's edit for yeah. it, but yeah. Uh, at this point, I would like to see one. So. Yeah, me too. All right. Uh, Martin Campbell, the writer and director of the most recent Casino Royale Bond movie, has admitted he made a mistake in the pivotal poker scene. In an interview with Screen Rant, he admits Bond should not have tipped the dealer a half a million dollars after winning the tournament in fantastic fashion. Campbell says he realizes that the money was not Bond's to give away. as His original stake in the tournament was put up by the British government, and his rebuy came courtesy of a CIA agent.
2: I disagree with this. Um, yeah. I do. I disagree with it on on two two points. One, um, I can't remember, but because I I watched the movie literally once, so and it was what a decade ago. One more I mean, time than I've
1: watched it. Yeah.
2: No, no. So I mean, I don't even really remember. But if I recall, it's not like he's James Bond, and the whole world knows he's James Bond, and he's this agent and he's playing in this game. He's supposed to be playing under the guise of just being this rich guy who's playing in it. Am I correct or am I incorrect? I, I think I'm correct.
1: I would imagine that's probably it
2: Yeah, they they don't want him to know. So for him to not tip after winning a gigantic tournament like that would be suspicious, and he didn't want to call suspicion on himself, so he tipped the guy like he normally would. Two, he won. It's not like he put in their money and then took another five hundred grand or five hundred million, I mean half a million half a, yeah five hundred grand out of the their coffers yes. and then tipped the guy with it. He won all of that money and then able to pay
1: back his backers. And- yeah.
2: But that's exactly it. He was able to pay them back. He was going if it was any kind of situation, he'd get half of it. Because he did it for work, they're gonna get all those millions and he can't keep up the ruse by tipping the dealer. He he needs to tip the dealer. He's he's not like the British government and the CIA agent you know, aren't going to get their money back. So to me, I I totally disagree with this. I I don't know if people were just, you know, like trolling him online, and he felt the pressure to succumb to it and say this. But to me, if Bond is not actually Bond at that table, it would be very very suspicious of this guy to say, oh, I can't tip him," or "Do not tip him," and then they got their money back anyway. So I, I and then with then some. So why would they complain that five hundred thousand dollar tip? I just don't get it. Yeah,
1: very very point, very good.
2: I've been thinking a lot about our show. You know, I don't just. Uh, Cruise through it. <laughs> I got something to say about the next item, too.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've talked about it on two straight shows. Why not make it three straight? Yes. Um, and more than 28 million people have watched it now. So do we think a poker version of the Netflix hit, The Queen's Gambit, could work? Poker News. Will Schillemeier asked the chess champion and Poker Pro, Jennifer Shahade uh, that very question. Her answer is yes, as the games have many similarities. But there are some key differences and that kids can't legally play poker like they can chess, which you foreshadowed with the Jennifer Harmon thing,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I hate is when something good comes along, and then the entire world wants to make their version of it. Copy of it, yep. That's I hate exactly that. That's exactly
1: what I was thinking, right? right. Like, don't we don't need that? a uh, poker's
2: gambit. <laughs> exactly. You know? And
1: no offense to our friend Gambit. I mean, that's not what I meant. No, no.
2: <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um. But yeah, it's like okay, let let the Queen's Gambit have its run. Let it enjoy the, the the spotlight. Let it, you know, and instantly we're like, okay, let's let's now make our version of it with a different sport or a different competition and um that's the first thing. Um the second thing I wanted to say was I didn't really care about the fact that kids can't legally play poker. It, this movie was not meant for kids. This movie was mature and no, kids aren't supposed to be point seeing was
1: it. was that she learned it as a nine-year-old playing with the janitor, right? Whereas it's a little harder to sell a story of teaching a kid to play poker. I mean, we can go back to the whole teaching your kids poker argument, which I know you've talked about a lot and written about for us a lot. But it is different because you're not going to be – I mean, she wasn't going to be able to walk into the um, Henry Clay High School and play a poker tournament, right?
2: (laughs) No. We don't want to be identical to the Queen's Gambit. It could just still make it seem like we have this genius poker player who's a woman starting as a girl. You know, and it could be totally Jennifer Harmon's story. You know what I mean? Totally Jennifer Harmon. Matter of fact, that's what I thought of when I watched The Queen's Gambit, when she was just taking out all these yeah. people. It's exactly who I thought of was Jennifer Harmon, and it was just—I—I I, I do think that a poker version like this—you know—if they had done the poker thing first, like, yeah, I don't think that a bunch of poker chip sets are going to be selling like hotcakes after that version of that movie, like they did with Queen's Gambit and chess sets. But I—I I do think that it—it it would be. Something that people could embrace, but of course it has to be a work of fiction like that too, so they can make it that much more incredible. But I, yeah. I, we we do agree that children learn to play cards all the time with their parents, especially yeah, board parents
1: or grandparents,
2: or at least I did. That's yeah, really- they sit at the kitchen table and they, they, I mean, story. Every single pro we ever interviewed, basically, until the boom, you know, the people who would have played because of the boom, every one of them has played for a long time they all learned at the kitchen table with their aunt or their grandmother or their father or something and it's like that's the exactly the way she learned except she was in an orphanage so she learned with a janitor and it was like she didn't play for money she just played and got better and she was a a savant so you get a poker player who learns the rules of the game and quickly picks up on it because she's a savant they could totally have the poker version of it i just hope they don't
1: well, we, we've we also talked about a savant earlier on the show, right? So if we, we could do this with Stu Unger, right? I mean, it's going to be a different story. But, you know, when I think – I mean, there's so much in Queen's Gambit that people liked, right? So, yeah. I mean, you can't just replicate it. You got There are a lot of threads in that that made it work together, right? So yeah. a couple of things like um, – I oh, mean, I lost my train of thought there because like, messages are coming in. Um, <laughs>
2: just put the phone down.
1: I, it's not the phone. It's, it's attached to my uh, laptop here. So, um, But uh, I guess a couple things I was going to say. Um, one, uh, this is a uh, a novel that was written, I think, 20 years ago or something, right? Yeah, so a long time ago. If somebody wanted to do a poker version, they could have done a poker version before Netflix did a version of the book, right? Right. Uh, of, of this. So, so we kind of missed our chance. Um, the other thing, too, is it doesn't – you know, people – there were – if you're a chess player, you really, from what I've been reading, you really like the chess in here because it was realistic. You know, Gary Kasparov helped, um, so the games were accurate, right? Right. Uh, which is always a big argument in poker movies, right? They're like, how could they not find a poker player to, like, make this real,
2: right? Exactly.
1: So they made they made the chess real, so the chess people were happy about it. The people that had, I mean, the biggest thing when I was telling my friends is that, um, uh, about it, they're like, is it about chess? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's about chess, but you don't have to know anything about chess to appreciate it. It's more than chess, right? It's you know this um, horrible childhood turning into a you know weird adulthood, and then coming to peace with stuff, right? So it's that. So you can make that kind of story around poker um, with poker as a backdrop as well, too, right? Well, I so, totally agree. So, and so I guess where I'm going with that is you don't need to start with a kid in an orphanage that finds a janitor that teaches them to play poker. Right? You can you can you can start this story um, you know, late teens, early twenties, thirties even, right? And right. and write a story about how poker gave you a new lease on life and showed you new friends that were different from what you had before and and treacherously navigating all that, right? So there is a story to be written um, in this version um about poker that is not a carbon copy of queen's gambit so i think that's what we're talking about we don't want a carbon copy but
2: right and if you had to i mean if you if you felt like oh it was still essential to to make it obvious that it was a child that was destined to you know be this poker pro or whatever and you wanted to tell that version of the story you could totally do it by online you know what i mean so if you're, they were saying the kids can't play legally but no one plays stuff legally When they're that age, you know what I mean? So, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't write that storyline like she opens her dad's laptop to watch a kid's YouTube video, and it's open to poker stars by accident, you know? And she learned how to play poker at the kitchen table with him, and he was a a savant at it, but he's like, yeah, okay, well, you're good, but you're not going to play this again until you're 18. But she secretly grabs his laptop and learns how to play online poker and then all of a sudden he opens up his account and he's got like seven hundred thousand in there when he started with, you know, a hundred thousand. He's like, Where does money come from? Right, right, you know? right. So I mean we've already written the story for him, so just go do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just do
1: it. Just do it. We're written the bones, but you know, again, the Queen's Gambit what made it work was the non chess part. Right, exactly. Uh, that's the harder part to write. So So the last thing I'm gonna mention about that just because I thought it was interesting, I believe it was Vanity Fair article, I could be wrong, but um and it was clickbait, uh, but but it turned out to be a good article. But the clickbait was uh, here is the one fatal flaw in the queen's gambit. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna click on that, take the bait. Uh, and the argument was that uh, Beth Harmon was not supposed to be anywhere near as attractive as this uh, Argentinian model that played her in the show.
0: Huh.
1: And if you go back to like the kid version, she was it, and they were making fun of it, and um. Uh, and so they said that this is a common theme in Hollywood movies that you can't sell it to people unless the people in the movie are beautiful.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, even if the story really would be stronger if uh, that person was not attractive at all. And, and as an extra bur- uh, extra hurdle to cross, right?
2: Uh, tell it to Charlize Theron when she played Monster.
1: That's true. Right? That's true. So you should have just, uh, um, uh, you know. Put some makeup on her and made her look less attractive, right?
2: <laughs> they should have hit her with the ugly stick a couple of times, is what you're saying, right?
1: <laughs> and the other criticism I thought was funny from our uh, longtime listener, Rob Paul Chapman, he was upset that uh, um, Venus was the song she was dancing to two years before it came out.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny that they pick on stuff like that, and I agree with him. I like that. But then you watch movies like Django and Jane, and there's rap music in it.
1: <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That doesn't seem right, you know. I mean, obviously he's not listening to it. It's just the over music, whatever. But it's just—it just seems so disjointed to watch something from the time of slavery and then have them have rap music on in the background. <laughs> It's just weird. It's a weird thing, but yeah. No, he's right. It was a little. Uh, what do they call those things? Anachronisms, right? When you.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, my wife and I argue about this because I'm like, that seems like such an easy fix. I'm like, you should be like, if you put the actual, and they did this in the Queen movie too, right? Which was even worse because it's about Queen. Right. But uh, when you actually put the year on the screen, that's that's when I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling people this is 1960, whatever. Uh, how about we make sure that the song they're listening to is not uh, it came 1980s. out before that? Because there's going to be somebody out there that finds that. Now, if you don't want to put this, the year on the screen, all right, use your creative license. But once yeah. you do that, I'm like, you, you couldn't come up with a different song for her to dance to. And granted, <laughs> it was a great song for her to dance to. But I mean, come on.
2: Yeah. All right. We're, you know, should we have said spoiler alert or something? I mean, yeah,
1: I, I don't. I don't think anybody's going to be spoiled now that they know that she's going to dance to. Uh, uh, Venus at some
2: point yeah, in the show. Yeah, it's a seven episode hey, thing. And the other so. thing
1: is, so it's a fictional show. Just change the year if you want to. Exactly. Put it on there, it's not even real.
2: Exactly. Maybe they'll yeah. do it in the, what do they call it, the Redux? <laughs> yeah. There you go. Queen's Gambit Redux, Director's Cut. Because they're doing that now with uh, Godfather 3.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: he's redoing it all. He's putting everything on at different orders and stuff to make it more ominous and more accurate toward the novel or so I don't know, but they're redoing that, you know, 100,000 years later, people, like mm-hmm. people care. All right, go ahead. All
1: right, uh, here's this week's update on casinos and poker room reopenings in Oklahoma. Grand Casino has reopened its poker room, and uh, that's, that's it.
2: Right. <laughs> okay, moving on.
1: <laughs> more, more governors are shutting down casinos, so keep track of that. So uh, not accounting for those recent temporary closings, which have been more since last week, uh, we now have 209 reopened poker rooms in the United States. And remember, anti com slash reopen list. Verify details on casino and poker room reopenings. If you have any updates, email us at editor at anti com We also email a weekly e with updates that you can subscribe to on the homepage at antiupmagazine.com. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it just in case again. Because there's a number of governors out there uh, with these temporary restrictions, uh, I'm not going back through and taking those off the list because that just gets cumbersome and hard. So um, there is a blanket note on both our website, on that reopen page, and on the eblast to to um, check with the poker rooms before you go to see if they are under some kind of temporary closure.
2: Very good. Cover all our bases. Uh, Annie Updates. PAPES, the Annie Up Fans free online tournament series on PokerStars Play Money site, is available everywhere. Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th of every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours. Join the Up fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask, call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Up logo designs on merchandise at antiochmagazine.com slash shop. Uh, buy t-shirts, hoodies... Sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of AntiApp Magazine, AntiApp PokerCast, or AntiApp Poker logos. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission emails at podcast at or post in the AntiApp Fans group on Facebook. We'll get to complete No O'Malley's move today, which is always exciting. Here comes part one. We'll refresh our memories. See you on the other side.
0: And welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we've overextended ourselves a bit, and we're at a $5-$10 no-limit hold'em home game. The max buy-in here is $1,500, which we bought in for, and currently have $2,200. The game is eight-handed, and we've been playing for roughly four hours. This is a pretty straightforward game, with no one stepping too far out of line. Raises tend to be respected pre-flop, and three bets are usually legit. The blinds post, the under the gun folds, and the plus one makes it $35 to go. This player has only been here for about an hour, and has his starting stack intact. He sits with 1500 He hasn't shown down any hands, but he's won two pots after raising preflop and c-betting the flop, and lost one on a fold after a four flush was made on the turn. The hijack calls, and we're on the cutoff with the ace of spades, queen of spades. This is a premium hand, but not one I would like to simply call with. Since the plus one raised, and three bets have been getting respect, I'd like to raise here for some range definition, but also for value. I can entertain a fold here, but I think a suited ace queen is too strong for that. We account for the limper and make it 150 to go, to discourage the button and any blinds from coming along. It's folded to the plus one who thinks for a while, probably 30 seconds, and then makes the call. The hijack folds. There's 335 in the pot and the flop is the ace of diamonds, eight of diamonds, deuce of clubs. Once again the plus one thinks for about a half a minute and then checks. Other than the diamonds I don't mind this flop at all. We are going to make a bet. We count out 200 and put it in the middle. The plus one thinks briefly and then calls. There's 735 in the pot and the turn is the nine of spades. The plus one again thinks and then checks. Yes, if we were ahead on the flop, we are probably still ahead. But this pot is already bloated, and I think erring on the side of caution is what's best here. We check for pot control. The pot stands at 735, and the river is the six of hearts. Basically a blank. The plus one thinks for a short period of time before betting 400. So, if we call and lose, our profits have disappeared. If we call and win, we're in a good position to post a win for the night. Is there a case for raising here? What's the move? All right, fairly
1: easy call for me here. Uh, We check for pot control in the turn, and that's exactly what we got. Turn check might also have induced a bluff from our opponent. So to O'Malley's question, yes, there is a case to be made for raising here. But since we don't have a lot of information on this player or his hand here, uh, much more content to call and rake in a decent pot.
2: Yeah, it's a call. I mean, a raise really only gets called by a better hand. I I don't know how someone with a worse hand would call a raise here i think that that would be so um let's just call and, and and hope it's good here comes part two
0: hello again i can't entertain a raise here but i will listen to arguments for a fold this could be a busted flush draw but i really don't think that's the case this really feels like a value bet and at this point his hand is screaming ace king Had I stopped and analyzed this spot a little further, I might have been able to figure out that this is either ace-king or ace-queen, and the fact that we hold ace-queen makes that pretty unlikely. We're losing here. But I flipped in a single chip almost immediately. Our opponent shrugs and tables the ace of hearts, king of clubs. Nice hand, sir. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes mini-coolers happen. You just have to move on. I hope to see you on the felt.
1: Well, once again, uh, we see the vulnerability of ace-queen, don't we?
2: Uh, Doyle Brunson would say, I told you so.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, here's the interesting thing about the ace-queen. Uh, just to talk a little bit more about this. Um, so, you know, in one sense, I'm saying, oh, hey, yeah, this is the ace-queen, and at the same time I said before, call, right? So uh, just to explain that, I'm like, uh, here's the reason you do the pot control, is so you can make this this call on the river, right? Yeah. If you if you had raised there, you got more money in, and then now they bet more, uh, now the pot's bloated, and, and you have to put a lot more money in, um, uh, not really knowing where your opponent is, and watching him turn over Ace King, which is a legitimate hand here, right? So, yeah. but when you check for pot control, that that what you're doing now is allowing you the option of calling these bets down, and sometimes you're going to win them, and sometimes you're not, and so the the uh, test on how good of a poker player you are is you win more money than you lose doing this. So we lost this one but uh, I think we played it properly. So
2: The thing about the raise idea, in my mind, is you've now abandoned the ace-queen and the top pair second kicker and have decided to play the person. And I'm fine with that. Um, if you know the person. If you know the person. In this case, we don't. And for us to speculate that, oh, he might have a slightly better hand than us by only a pip, we can get him to fold, is very difficult when you're playing, a, I think he called it a straightforward game, And, you know, people don't get out of line. So to me, you really need to know this player to now forget the fact that you have top pair second kicker and you're trying to get a better hand to fold. Uh, It's one thing if you're trying to do for value, but with one pair, I I don't ever think of one pair as being a raising hand on the end, just ever. Um, And then again, you don't know what this guy has, you don't know how he plays. You you are just opening it up to more money being put in the middle that you can't afford to call with now because it's just Ace Queen. Um, it's basically a bluff catcher at that point. So um, I I'm I'm glad we just called. I don't ever think a raise is, is called for there.
1: Right. All right. Yeah. It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at com. If you haven't watched something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Mark Kelly is our Hand of the Week submitter this week. Uh, Chris, and okay. uh, um, he says, I had just logged into a one two, $1, $2, 6 max online cash game. I watched two hands before I entered the game in the big line. Neither went to showdown, but there was a lot of action, mainly from the player two to my right, who won both hands, and is now on the button. I have $200. The button has me covered with around $250. Action, preflop folds to the button, who raises the 6 Small blind calls, and the action's on us in the big blind with the king of diamonds, eight of diamonds.
2: Uh, I mean, I guess you can call. It, 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 we, it's, it's so funny. I mean, we, ha- we say the same things week in and week out. If you're going to call here, you got to know that you're going to be out of position. You're going to have a button player that, I, I guess this was the person he was describing, so it's going to be aggressive. And you have a horrible hand. Just because it's suited, it's horrible. So if you hit the king, you have to be, you're susceptible to better kickers. If you hit the eight, you're susceptible to overpairs. The person raised, he could have nines. It's just a horrible, horrible hand. If you hit the diamonds, you're susceptible to a nut flush. And so it's one of those hands where if you're going to call the raise, you better hit it uniquely to your hand Super and well. Fun. Right. Yeah. Just hard. Super hard. Yeah. Super hard. Otherwise, you need to really consider getting out. You know, I mean, if the Ace of Diamonds came on the flop and then another Diamond, okay, then you can get involved. But if you're looking at just, oh, I hit my eight and it's top pair, that's just not the type of hand you want to get involved with with someone who's raising and is super aggressive. So and you just join and the small, table. Hands so all really,
1: blind calling too. Remember that's that's yeah. The key here too.
2: Exactly. And you don't you don't know these players yet. You've only seen what two hands I think he said. So. Yeah. Yeah, you no
1: know, um, real information here.
2: So Proceed with caution.
1: Yeah, I think one of these, I mean, it, it, you can't sit in a six max game and not defend your blinds um, on a regular basis. So um, to that extent, um, I, I'm assuming there's going to be a call here. <laughs> it's not hand of the week, i that, not right. right. Um, so I, I can defend that with that um, information. Um, however, you don't have to defend it every single time and certainly don't have to defend it. Two hands into the session when I mean actually your first hand in the session, right. you watch two right, um, you know get get an orbit or two here um, before you you feel like you need to defend that blind. Um, the other thing that I like about folding here, not defending the blind here, is you're giving the impression to this action junkie on the button uh, that you won't defend your blind, right? So you're you're throwing them off a little bit. So maybe that next time around. Um, he's going to be uh, more likely to um, raise on that button with a, a worse hand. Now, of course, a small binary call, so that kind of defeats that a little bit, argument a little bit. But um, uh, I, I, I'm going to defend my button uh, quite a bit in a 6-max game. I just don't think I need to do it now, particularly with a hand that, uh, as you mentioned, um, is going to be super vulnerable no matter what comes.
2: Yeah, I think on the first hand, people aren't going to automatically say, oh, this guy doesn't defend. I mean, it's the first hand, a six-handed, table i think that if you show a pattern that's when they pick up on things the very first hand you, you look down to do seven oh he's not defending his hand you know you're not gonna okay. defend with crap so i wouldn't really worry too much about your persona at this point uh, i would worry about losing my stack with a horrible hand so i i'm not saying i would fold here because i'd be anxious to get in the pot and start playing you know i just sat down i want to play but i just need to hit it super hard like scott said
1: well, and the other thing, too, remember the, the psychology of poker, right, too. So, I mean, you're right. When you mentioned losing your whole stack here, I mean, this is a hand that you could lose your whole stack on, right? Yep. You could you could hit this a little bit and stay into the end. You could get two diamonds. Even if you get, like, their, your ace of diamonds, X diamond that you mentioned, right, you get all the way to the end and not hit. And you're probably not going to lose your whole stack that way, but you're probably going to lose a decent stack the size of it. And now your very first hand, you've lost so much money on a hand that you know you probably shouldn't have played how are you going to play the rest of the session you're going to be messed up i think right so you got to keep a track of that as well too it's
2: funny i can now that we're talking i i remember the first time i ever played live at foxwoods i sat down king ten of clubs very first hand and i played it for a raise like an idiot cuz i was in the blind and i remember like flopping like a 10 and the guy had jacks and I lost a bunch of money on the first hand, and it was it set, it set the horrible tone for the rest of the day. Right, and it's right. funny; it's the first hand I ever played at Fox so was King Ten of Clubs. Wow. That's weird. That's weird. So that's... yeah, there you go.
1: But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're able to like look past those things and continue to play at your best, that's great. But most players, I'm sorry, myself included, at one 2 were not able to recover from a bad decision on the first hand to have a profitable session. It's right. just not going to happen very often. So. That is a consideration here. <clears throat> All right, our hero does make the call. Pot is $17 after the rake, and the flop is the eight of spades, six of diamonds, deuce of clubs, and the small blind checks to us.
2: See, that's that's exactly what we said was going to happen, was yep. that we'd hit top pair, but we don't know that the guy doesn't have nines, and that's why he raised, or even he's eight. Uh, I don't like to donk bet. At a brand new table like this, too, I want to see what this guy will do. You know, I don't mind doing the hey, he probably has a decent ace in his hand, then he's just going to see bet here, and I'll call and then check to him again. And if he checks again, then I'll bet the river. So, I mean, I don't mind the check call here. I don't think we need to now take control of this hand because we're still going to be out of position if he calls us. So yep. let's just check and see what this guy does.
1: Yeah, I mean, here you really gotta resist the uh, urge to do anything here. Um, again, our hand is we got top here, but it's vulnerable, as we mentioned. And then you've got this this guy who, with our only two hands of experience with him, seems to be an action player. So you know he, he's not gonna be like, whoa, hey, this guy has something here. He's gonna raise us, right? I yeah. Think, to find out where we are. So now you got to call a raise, and we still don't know what. After we call that raise or even worse, re-raise, we're not going to know what we're up against. So um, let's just avoid all the trouble here, check, and, and see. Um, you know, Obviously, he's probably going to put in a modest seabed here, which we can probably call now because we have top pair, and see what happens on the turn. But let's not go crazy and put uh, $10, $15 in here, and you get raised to 35 and have to make a decision. Yep. All right, our hero says, uh, I decided to check, hoping to get to a cheap showdown. All right, so that's a good plan. Uh, button has other ideas, betting $17 to small blind folds, and it's back to us. I call. At this point, I, all right, so this is weird because I know people are going to say, hey, we've been saying nonstop we shouldn't be playing this hand at all, right? Right. And now now we've, we've flopped a trap flop, and now we're saying call. But you do have to call here, right? Yeah. Because I mean, we don't know what the button has at all. We've got the small blind out of the way, so that helps a little bit you know, call the 17. um, And our hand is still completely disguised at this point, right? Yep. And like we said, completely disguised.
2: I know we said super hard and all that, but I mean, you hit top pair and you have a decent kicker to it. Not that the guy's playing queen eight, but we know he's aggressive and it's still a reasonable amount of money. You're not going to go broke with betting, you know, calling a seventeen dollars bet. Well, we're hoping as we're setting up to see how he'll play the turn. If we now check and he checks behind, then we know he just did a a C bet, and we bet out the river, unless something scary happens. And then, you know, because maybe he'll a king on the turn, maybe he'll a king on the river, who knows, you will have two pair, then you can go to, to war with it. But at this point, I don't fault the call here, because we're planning up future streets with it. It's not like that's our end game. endgame. You know, it's, it's the setup. It's the story we're telling. So I don't mind a call, and then if we check again on the turn, when another blank comes, and if the guy checks behind... You know, if you makes a reasonable bet, we still have a top pair in that. You know, as long as we don't go broke with this, that's what we're saying. We're not overcommitting with a horrible hand with a terrible kicker. So, I don't mind a call.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, so, I mean, now, hey, this is kind of the pot control that we're talking about, right? So, we just call here. So, that's 34-51 in the pot on the turn. Uh, w- one thing I'll say is I'm 100% checking every turn. Yeah. I think. I mean, even at eight, is the dream card we have coming, checking that as well, too. Um, I, I'm not going to, like, bet into this guy on the turn. I'm going to check, and if he checks behind, that's great, and then I'll come alive on the river. Because, again, we weren't supposed to be in the hand to begin with, so. But 100% checking. And the pot's at 51 now, so, I mean, there's not so much damage that he can do. It's possible we could get to the river um, for uh, $68 and then make a decision at that point. So, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Hero says, it seems like I'll need to play a big pot to see showdown. I don't know this player, but it feels like he sized up trying to push me off this hand. I call, hoping to turn a diamond draw or two pair. Uh, go ahead and dream for the trips, too. Why not? <laughs> uh, pot is now $51. The turn is the trade of spades. So our board now is eight of spades, six of diamonds, deuce of clubs, tray of spades, and we leave this street.
2: Again, 100% check. So, you know, it's going to be one of those things where another spade comes on the back door to something. I we're going to say, why didn't we bet? But... Cause that's just the way hand of the weeks go, but uh I'm gonna check again like we said.
1: Yeah, I mean for not hitting one of our cards, this is a good card to come, I think. I mean obviously, I mean, I guess you could be playing four or five and as a straight and now we're drawing dead, but um you know, it's another under, so I mean we still got top pair, which is always very nice. So but yeah, hundred percent checking here, that's exactly
2: what I'm doing. And that's what our hero does. Yay.
1: And of course the button bets pot fifty one dollars. Back to
2: us. Okay, so to me. There was no draw on that flop, really. Okay, so maybe it's a straight draw, and it got there on the turn. But I, I just don't know if a new player sitting down is calling a raise out of position with 4-5. And I certainly don't think he's doing it with 7-5 or 7-9. Well,
1: he raised, too, so he's the raiser in this hand.
2: No, 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 I'm talking about us now. Oh, awesome. So yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, so what I'm saying is that right, if there's right. no reason for this guy to not keep betting, thinking we're drawing.
1: Exactly. right.
2: right. I got you. Yep. So I think he's just being aggressive. And, yeah,
1: and he's betting pot. He's betting the most he can to, to get us to um, – it certainly seems like they get us off of this hand.
2: Yeah, um, well, he, could, he could bet more in pot. It's not pot, pot limit, but um,
1: – Yeah, but I mean he bet pot is what I bet, bet.
2: pot, yeah. He bet what yeah. seems odd. Yeah, it's an odd bet. So, you know, if the guy had an overpair, you know, I just feel like he'd want to get value for this hand, not scare us off the hand. So now we're getting entrenched, which is what we didn't want to do, which is why we fold King-8. <laughs> we didn't. Right, right. Um, and then if you raise, it's basically your stack, because you're not going to raise to 102. You're going to raise to 150, and you've already put a decent amount, So that's basically your whole stack, so you might as well shove. And I don't think I'm shoving on the very first hand with King-8. So I think I'll just call. I- I'm not going to fold.
1: I mean, here's the thing. So we, at this point, you know, we got top pair again. I know we sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth, but but the way we played this, we we've kept the pot pretty low. I mean, he's bet not the max because you're right; it's no limit. But he's bet the max of what we could expect over the bet on every street. Right. Um, and uh, we still have to believe that we we are in this hand and might even be leading this hand. So um, call this 51 now. It'll be nice to improve on the turn. Um, and if not, then. You know, it's going to be a pretty big bet that we're going to have to face, I think. now, well, pretty pretty close to our stack, right? So yeah. this is going to be one of those things that we lose. We're going to go back to what we said at the beginning, that this is a hand that you're going to lose your stack on. But the way the hand is developed, it's developed well for us. So I'm going to call here, I think.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Ugh.
1: All right. Uh, our hero says, I think I've played this hand too passively, and I can't really be confident the button doesn't have an open pair. A tricky spot for sure. But I still think it's a bluff and the button may have hands like ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, etc. Maybe should have checked race to flop. Question mark. I end up calling. Um, so I, the first thing I'll say here before we go to the river is um, playing it too passively when you're out of position is not a bad thing, I don't think. I mean, again, we've given this guy no information other than that we keep calling his bets so we feel like there's something on this board that we like, right? Yeah. Um, so he doesn't know that it's king-eight that we have. It could be – now it could be spades. It could be – He's guessing as much as we are. Um, and um, so obviously now in the river, depending on what comes, I mean, if he improves, then it's going to be an easy bet for him. If he's bluffing here and he doesn't improve, he, we're putting him to a test now as to what he wants to do on the river, right? Yeah. So I, I don't think the, there's a, lots of times in poker where um, playing passive is definitely the wrong move. Right here, I'm like, this is not a criticism I'm going to have of our hero for playing a passively. I think we've kept our opponent in the dark, and that's a good thing.
2: Yeah, I, I and we got to remember too. This opponent doesn't know how we play; He has no yeah, idea he does how our, we play. First hand, right? So for him to be betting that much, he's got to be trying to push us off a of hand. It feels like I don't think he's thinking, "Oh, we're we're a calling station." He's going to call our top set or something, or middle set or something. I think he's thinking, "All right, I got to beat this guy out." And the other thing too is we found out that he was pretty aggressive anyway from the two hands we watched. So. You know, the, the planets have to align for all of those things to play against you right now, so I'm hoping that's not the case.
1: All right. Pot is $153, and we have 126 left in our stack. The river is the four of diamonds, so the final board is eight of spades, six of diamonds. Deuce of clubs, trade of spades, four of diamonds, and we lead the action once again.
2: Well, any fives is a straight. Um, I don't know. I mean, that sucks. You know, it goes runner-runner for the four-card straight. Um You know, 5-7 still gets there, obviously, because any five gets a straight. So, I don't know. I think I'm just going to keep letting this guy. Hope he checks behind. You know, and if he bets, then I think he... I don't think he bets because he had a five in his hand. I don't think he bet again because he had a five in his hand. I'm sure he's not betting a pot with a five in his hand, hoping to hit a gutter. So, unless he has something like ace, five of spades, that's like the only hand that I can see making that bet legitimately. Um other than, you know, a set or something, but, um, I don't know, I think I'm going to check to him again, and if he shoves, then we're put to a test, and, you know, we lost 60 bucks. So here's bucks. the thing
1: about the show, I mean, obviously the pot's 153, we have 126, so, alright, you can make a fair case that that's a proper bet, no matter what your holding is, but if this guy has a five and actually hit his miracle straight here, um, essentially the nuts, <clears throat> um... I, I don't know now whether he puts us all in here. I think maybe he bets a little less to try to get some more value out of us, because we've been calling it down the entire way, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, in one sense, the, the this four diamonds is actually a good card for us. If he did actually catch up to us with a straight, it should theoretically save us some money here on a call, I think. Um, otherwise, if a shove comes here, I, I'm thinking I I have a decent chance of being good. I mean, I'm not terribly confident, but I, I'm confident enough that I'm willing to call this and and not and go back to the beginning of the hand when we said, hey, you're going to put yourself in that bad frame of mind. I don't think I'd be in that bad frame of mind the way this hand came down if uh, if he ends up winning here. I, I think I've made good decisions all the way, and this is just poker. So uh, I'm prepared to, to call up to my stack here, um, and but I don't expect that if he has a better hand than us, then he's going to bet $126. Yeah. Um, All right. Our hero says, okay, so any five gets a straight, and I feel like it's unlikely the button has a five. The button probably thinks I was drawing to the straight, or maybe I have a set or similar. In hindsight, this is a good example of why you shouldn't call with king eight. (laughs) good. (laughs) I have a medium hand, which might be good, and I don't think I want to have to call a shove on the river. I decide I'm not going to fold to a shove. Then I should shove and, and instead represent the straight potentially getting an overpair to fold. All right, interesting move here. I, I did not need, immediately think of that because we have played it so passively. But um, if we don't think he has a five, now we need to represent the five, right?
2: Yeah, uh, but a shove wouldn't be good because you'd want to get value. It's the same argument you made earlier about the other argue. guy betting. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to shove. I'd want to bet like 80 or 70 or something. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's see how it plays out. Uh, so we, we do shove $126. The button considers until the timer runs down and puts in a time bank card for another 30 seconds. Feels like an age. The button ends up making the call, ugh. Then strangely, the pot is virtually pushed to me. Somehow my ace were good, and the button called the river with a worse hand. I didn't get to see the hand, but I thought maybe ace king all along, and the button figured his bluff would be between uh, than mine. Or be, would be, yeah, better than mine, I guess I meant to say. A uh, few. I uh, think I got lucky there. Would be interested here if you would call down. I checked the river and the button shove would it be a crying call.
2: Well, again, i I think uh, I think a check there. The guy doesn't bet 126 because he thought long and hard about calling 126. So I think he he probably makes a value bet and you can get away with comfortably calling that. And I, you got the max out of this hand, obviously. But I can't imagine what hand calls there. Pocket sevens. I mean, what what hand calls there that doesn't win?
1: Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, it's...
2: Ace-King doesn't call there. There's no reason to call Ace-King.
1: I mean, it could be a worse 8 than ours, which we kind of dismissed during this whole thing, but...
2: Maybe 9-8. He raised with 9-8. That's about all I can think of. So, Ace-8,
1: God, even 9... I mean, yeah, you're right. It's really weird to think of any hand that we beat here calling that river shove.
2: And it's only calling to catch a bluff because
1: yeah, he had to think that we were bluffing at this. But whatever he had, his nothing was not as good as our nothing. Yeah, yeah, you're putting a lot, lot of faith in uh, your hand at that point to make that call.
2: You know, regardless
1: whether you have it or not. I mean, again, you watch like you know the good poker players mention this. I mean, this is a situation where they they back down because they look at him and they're like, "There's just simply no way I can win here." And if the guy is bluffing, that is a great bet and I have to give him credit for that great bet because I just can't call with what I have. It doesn't make sense.
2: right? What hand did he call? It? He had to have 9-8 or ace-8, suited ace-8 or 9-8. Or I don't think he even made that raise with ten eight, although he might have because he was just trying to steal the blinds and move on, being the, the aggressor that he is on the button. But it, he had to have an 8 in his hand. It was worse than king-8 because there's no other hand he can call with there that makes sense for that amount of money. And, again, it's just one pair. Okay, so the guy might be bluffing you, but you only put in sixty bucks. You know, move on. Yeah. You still have one hundred and ninety. You know, it's it's poker, but now he's basically got fifty bucks left, and he's gonna have to rebuy. Just uh, that's so weird. Player, I wish we knew the hand.
1: The fact that he didn't um, didn't have anything really was, as we mentioned, uh, a reason why he was betting pot every street, right? Yeah. He, it really was trying to shove us off. Uh, a new player, first hand, in the big blind. You know, it's a pretty good strategy until the end when uh, we come alive and show, and, and then he decides he's going to make the crying call for, and really crying call. I mean, that's, like, yeah, super you bet pot stichical.
2: every street. Pot every street. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, wow. All right, Mark. Well, congrats on that. That's... Yeah,
1: that's a way to play King 8.
2: <laughs> Do it. Every time you see King 8 now, that's going to be your favorite hand. You're going to play it every time. <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza, And I'm Scott Lux. We'll see you at the table.
0: AntiUp is a production of antioffmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antioffmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antioffmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.
1: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.